I'm a little off my babysitter's club game right now. Like I'm a little like yeah. a little rusty. I hear that. And I don't know if the 1995 movie is the best means to draw you back in. But I will say I was thinking about it today having read like, okay, in advance of talking, we both read an oral history of mm-hmm. the 95 Babysitter's Club movie. I want to like give credit to this author because it's really well put together. Uh, I think it should have won six Pulitzers, I think I said. It's a uh, Jessica Goldstein who does a lot of uh, TV recaps mm. for Vulture. It did her due diligence in finding um, all but one of the babysitters from the movie. Uh, she found them. Just one of them rejected her outright, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Larissa Olenek wants to talk about this movie all the time, and really, she just needs to be asked, and and she'll go on. And Because I've read other things where she has discussed this movie. Uh, they recap at one point the Alamo Drafthouse screening, and I've definitely read accounts of that. That's, where, that's <laughs> off the point. Um but before we go any further, before we go any further, yeah. just in case people hear this conversation, who are we and what are we doing? So my name's... Uh, no, we don't say our names first. That'd be ludicrous. Uh, uh, this is a podcast called Pizza Toast. It's uh, It's used to be about the Babysitter's Club Netflix series. Uh then it was about the Babysitter's Club uh, HBO slash Disney Channel, whatever mm-hmm. it is. We don't even know when they made it, uh, <laughs> Babysitter's Club series. And now uh, for for some time, for X number of episodes, it's going to be about the 95 Babysitter's Club movie. Yeah, which I have not yet seen. Yeah, and uh, I'm Christy Admiral, and I've seen it enough times that I can sing both the diegetic and non-diegetic uh, lyrics of songs and you are uh you're also a person i'm phil gonzalez and i've not seen it but i made my child watch it which was a really weird choice i made <laughs> i sat mitzi down at one point and was like you should watch this mo-. we had started reading the books and i was like you should check out this babysitter's club movie i hear it's really good i don't know why i didn't watch it with her but i sort of sat her down and then i left the room i was like this is probably an experience you should have by yourself such a such a crazy choice because if you had even glanced at like the content of this movie, like read a like a, a summary of it and seen that ellen burstein is in it wouldn't that have been enough for you to stick around i think i wanted to get further into the book series before i watched it because i knew that it was well so this article is yes. really does a good job at contextualizing where we were as a popular culture at the moment it this movie does. was put into production. It does. And I, okay, you know, I both know things about production, just be, just like being fans of media from different eras. And yeah. uh, like uh, the number of podcasts I listen to informs like... <laughs> And some of the courses I took in school informs like when a good time to release a movie is. And my the thing that jumped out at me about this piece that I never even thought of, is they released this movie in the middle of August, the absolute worst time to release a movie. Like, yeah. there is, I think it's maybe that's one of the dead zones and then sort of mid-spring. Are, those are the times you don't want your movie released. And it feels as though the movie were doomed for failure just on that alone. Yeah, anytime people are out of town is a bad time. To yeah. 
Uh, so August, uh, around Christmas, like when people are traveling around Christmas, like Christmas is a great release time, but like around Christmas is supposed to be a bad release time. Yeah, because even if you do it in January, like sometimes those are the Oscar buzzy ones, but you wouldn't release a new yeah. movie in January. Yeah. So this is a bad time. And apparently Scholastic originally wanted to release it with their back to school pushes, which makes so much sense. And nobody involved who talked to this uh, reporter knows why it got changed. It's really, it's one of those choices that you hear about in movies that suddenly bomb out. And you're like, if they had just stuck with the plan, there's no guarantee it would have gone well, but it certainly would have gone better than it did. And Yeah, because this movie made almost no money. Oh, yeah, it, it, it was a blip. And... I think, I mean, you know enough about filmmaking and like the system that it's it's that thing where it could have just been one dude with a bee in his bonnet about who wanted to get back at one of the production staff who just, yeah, yeah. that's the way studios are. Like somebody will make a weird decision for a weird personal reason and then everything will go to hell and then they'll blame the director if it's a woman. Right. And it's interesting because after this director... Is it Melissa Mayron? Am I getting that right? No, Mel- Melanie Mayron, who... Yeah, because I kept thinking of her character's name in 30-something, which, okay, understandable thing to do, right? This is an honest mistake. Like, she had never done any directing. What a wild... Ch- she And she makes it clear. So, first of all, I don't know the name Melanie Mayron, but I no. definitely know the face because I was a rabid 30-something viewer. Yeah, that would have been in your wheelhouse. Like, that doesn't surprise me at all. Because, like, I've seen it later, but I definitely, I wouldn't have been engaged with it at the time because I wasn't watching that kind of TV at the time. Well, not but only- as soon as I saw her face, I was like, oh, yes, this is a woman I've seen on television before. Well, not only was I a, a rabid 30-something viewer, which... Bear in mind, it was not a show within my age range. I I was a child when it came out, but for some reason, oh, I, I know, was... I know. It's a. I'm not saying you were like a thirty something watching thirty something. No, no, no. Like, I was, this would have been. I was yeah. fascinated. I had a huge crush on her character. Okay. Like I remember watching this show as a child and being like, like this, like oh, like she was like <laughs> that, like little kid crush that you get when you're like sort of pre and pre-hormonal where you're just like you don't understand these feelings i I had that kind of crush on one of the characters in the babysitter's club movie like the thing where you can't really define what Mm -hmm. it is because you're i mean i was seven when the movie came (laughs) out like which i yeah so like i didn't know what that meant but i definitely really liked a particular one so (laughs) uh yeah i was i was 11 when 30 something came on my parents did not watch it (laughs) At all. Mm-hmm. I watched it uh, mm-hmm. by myself on my own TV. And my my parents were watching, like, I don't know, uh, Hooperman or whatever was on at the time. And I was wa- <laughs> I was watching 30-something uh, because I was just so invested in the lives of these young professionals. Man, we were both real weirdos, huh? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, was, like, I was a very strange kid, but I, but I don't, like, I don't dwell on it that much until I'm like, you bring this up from like, uh, I, I was really into the Ben Stiller show when I was 11 and would like tape marathons and, and watch them over and over. So when I was in eighth grade, I would spend the night at friends houses and I would insist we stop whatever we were doing, watching a movie, playing a video game, getting ready for bed. 
because I had to watch Trapper John MD reruns. I was in syndication. I had, I was just, I was like, I cannot miss a single Trapper John MD rerun because I'm keeping up with the (laughs) storyline. My goodness. So yeah, I was strange possessions. So yeah, this, but 30 something, Mm -hmm. you had a big crush on your character. So this, uh, like, as soon as you f- put that together, were you more excited about the prospect of a Babysitter's Club movie directed by <laughs> Well, hey, of course, again, I did not put it together until yesterday. But, I know. <laughs> but it, it, I was, as you were saying, fascinated by the idea that this was, a, this was a, an actor with, like, no directorial experience. None. Uh, just was, seems to have been offered this out of the blue. I don't... It's weird, right? Because also the screenwriter who is barely mentioned in the in the piece uh, had only written TV movies mm-hmm. before. And that actually, uh, when you watch the movie, I think you'll see this is not like a, it does not feel like a grand scale production. It does feel more like maybe three television episodes back to back to back. But that's the nature of the Babysitter's Club. Right. The episode, episodic. Storytelling, it's not going to be much more than that. But I think... Both the screenwriter and the actor, or the director who is an actor, kind of informed that. And it seems like the director just was a very like nurturing, almost like cool aunt figure to the ac- the actors, which I love. Yeah, like, that's great. She was still, you know, she was still young, and and uh, you know, she she says herself, she was kind of funky and mm-hmm. inexperienced. And but this is coming at a weird time for like kids movies we're we're knee deep in the nickelodeon uh like kid power era of films so this movie is almost too sincere like the, the the source material is so sincere it's not it's not adults rule or adults drool kids rule it's not that yeah like no it I'm I'm nodding vigorously right now because this is a very earnest movie and when you're talking about the kids rule adults drool thing which is such a such a Nickelodeon take specifically uh this is in direct opposition to that which is like well adults have rich inner lives mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're not focused on the adults right now we're just going to talk about how all of you are like becoming teens and figuring out what's what like it's a very introspective piece of entertainment in contrast with that um it never it never feels too old or anything mm. it just feels a lot more thoughtful and i i i think the vulture piece does get at that a bit because the like my my favorite bit in that is where they're talking about when they all started filming and they all hung out for a week together mm-hmm. which is not a thing that happens before they started filming and they all like went around and did a five-minute storytelling session about themselves. This was the babysitters. And then a five-minute uh, storytelling session as their characters. That's That, like, really, like, the fact that they had them develop the inner lives of the girls to that extent before they even started filming, that is wonderful. And, and it's also very uh, drama one. This is, like... It is! This is what we it did is. freshman year in high school theater class. So this is a weird time for kids movies what's what's interesting is i so i looked it up and i was like this movie came out in august and it bombed hard two months later now and then came out and was a pretty it it, it was a pretty good success on a 12 million dollar budget it made 37 million Mm dollars so 
proving, and that's for those who don't know, Now and Then was a movie about coming of age of preteen and young teenage girls. Like that was, it was. It shares a lot of the same DNA with this movie. Very uh, much so. Yeah. I mean, the big difference being there are also these kind of name actresses playing the adult versions right. of the girls. And I think that had some appeal. But aside from that, it is, it's a story about being like, 13 to 15, like realizing you like boys and like having seances and sleepovers. Mm -hmm. It's a good, it's a great movie. It's another sleepover movie for sure. Uh, But it is like, it's interesting. Like two months later, a better release time. Exactly. And with a a similar, I mean, obviously now and then also was aiming at the adult market because it had the adult cast, but Mm -hmm. it, it, it strikes me as not weird it it kind of self-fulfilling prophecy that like this is a huge book series it's already like almost 10 years into i mean probably by the time production on this probably eight years into like its super popularity uh it obviously Mm -hmm. has like a great still has a fantastically strong fan base scholastic is like let's make let's get this movie out there and it's still treated as not even like as not even like a like a B movie basically like yeah. the studio is still like we're gonna get this new director who's inexperienced we're not gonna cast any big names except like her friends who like are like yeah I'll do your movie uh, <laughs> like Ellen like she says Ellen Burstyn was a friend of hers this was not someone the studio went after I really and uh, there's so there's so much I'm going to be excited to talk about when you've actually seen it but like. Perfect casting as, like, the kind of haughty neighbor who they're having. Dawn has, like, butts heads with this woman. And Dawn is very book Dawn in this. Like, and it's a good it's a good dynamic. Because also Larissa Olenek uh, was a Nickelodeon kid. Like, mm. she, had, she had been on Alex Mack and therefore was the most recognizable person in the cast. Definitely. And uh, also the strongest actor, I would say. You'll see. See <laughs> I'll see. I'll see when I finally get around to watching Sky- Skylar Fisk, also fantastic, <laughs> but she's also Sissy SpaceX daughter. I love that they're like, they keep talking around that and they try to drop it in casually and then they're like, oh, she's so like her mom. Yeah, she looks a lot like her mom. She acts a lot like her mom. <laughs> it's, it is funny. It's, it's a little peak. This, oral histories of movies are always interesting because you get more than you're going to get on a Wikipedia page. And Mm -hmm. it does open up that thing of just like everyone who's a success in Hollywood, like 90% of the people who are successful in Hollywood are literally related to somebody else. Like, yeah, like there is that or, or are best friends with some, like it's very rare that people come out of nowhere. I mean, yes, you have your Matt Bomers and your Lee Paces who literally came from no had no connections they came out of houston texas they just sort of hit it big you have those success guys those are your guys those are my guys uh uh but but yeah but like so you have you do have success stories like that but nine times out of ten you are sissy spacek's daughter like (laughs) you you may have a different uh, last if you name. You want to look at theater closely for like two seconds. This is a, yeah. This is a very much a like across the entertainment industry. <laughs> yeah. what and it. no shade. It's a tough industry to break into. Yeah. You're going to take advantage it of helps. your of your connections. Oh, and I mean, it's not like I haven't gotten jobs before just in like my pocket of industry because I knew a person. That's how yeah. I started writing. But but it, it sorry, helps don't, to don't be tell anyone. Uh, yeah, it helps to be the daughter of of Ethan Hawke and uh, 
And uh, I suddenly can't think of her name. Uh, Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. Yeah. Like, that... I only ever remember because Maya Hawk does look 50-50. Like, there's no... Split down the middle. Yeah. There's no, like, one parent is more dominant than the other in her appearance. She's just like, yeah, basically split no. down the middle. No, if a computer yeah. had designed her and come up with her, we would have been like, it's too much. It's too on the nose. <laughs> like, that people don't actually blend their parents that evenly. <laughs> Yeah, so we have the we have the daughter of Sissy Spacek, and they say that Christy is the last person cast, and they're having a very hard time casting mm. Christy. But also that some of the other girls were auditioning for multiple parts. I think yeah. it was uh, Larissa Olenek wanted Dawn, like that was the one she was going for. Yep. Uh, uh, no one wanted Stacy because they didn't want to have to do a kiss. Yeah, that's uh, and this is one of those classic tales of like my my first kiss was also a screen kiss. And to be fair to Brie Blair, who is uh who's fourteen at the time of filming, <laughs> the boy they cast to kiss her was in fact a man. <laughs> he was twenty two. Yeah, and I okay when I watched this movie and had not deeply researched it, so like. Mm, when I had very strong familiarity and hadn't researched it till like two days ago, let's yeah. say, <laughs> I assumed that Luca was 17 because in the story he is 17 and Stacy is 13. That's not true. That's not nope. even a little true. And he is like, the actor says like, that it's it's clear he did not look at like this was a job to him yeah. it's like he's definitely not lecherous in any way but he's like yeah they were they weren't even like teenagers they were girls yeah and the 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 article touches on that weirdness briefly it doesn't make it does. a huge deal out of it i think for most experienced actors you're like it just come this is just, yeah it just comes with the territory thing you know who, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I got in there. I did my job. I said my lines. I got out for the girls. It was like life altering experience. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, also, they, I love the way they knit together like Christy, like the guy who plays Christy's dad saying like the girls were always really quiet when I came into a room. And then one of them is like, we all had a crush. On so uh, Christy's dad is 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 in the story. Spoiler alert for anyone uh, uh, who is only familiar with the first hundred or so books. Um, <laughs> but he's played by Peter Horton, who was who was one of the actors on Thirty Something. Obviously, the connection was there, mm-hmm. and he yeah, was, they're friends. And he was the he was the this guy is really attractive. Uh, for 1987 guy, uh, yeah, because he's got a lion's mane of hair, he's got a really large forehead and a really winning smile. Like, there's another actor in Thirty Something who's like the pretty boy, not Timothy Busfield, who's the pre- speaking. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's my Trapper John MD connection. That's it. Like, I was obsessed with Timothy Busfield, so there was. A- <laughs> There Wait, was how many a, times have you watched the first few seasons of The West Wing? There was a... Okay, so there was a joke. <laughs> okay, on Saturday Night Live at this time, in the late 80s, uh, there was they would do their fake commercials. And there was this commercial they did for 30-something cereal. And it was... <laughs> It was as if it was a, a breakfast cereal marketed to children, but based on 30-something. So it was marketed to 30-something age adults, but like as if it was a cartoon cereal. And the cereal pieces were supposed to look like the, the characters from the show. And all I remember, from, and this literally, this one moment stuck with me up to today. I, when I think 30-something, I think this, and it's a woman, it's Jan Hooks, 
picking up her cereal, and in her spoon is a little piece of cereal that looks like Timothy Busfield. And she kind of gets, and the whole thing's done in the style of 30-something, so she's very wistful. And she looks off and she goes, she goes, (laughs) she goes. Oh, guys. I got an oat brown Elliot. And... That to that just to me that's thirty. It's this little piece that's, of cereal, this little Timothy Busfield face in a, in a woman's spoon, and she says, "I got an oat brand Elliot." So I just like like cultural touchstones are funny because like I think Timothy Busfield, and I just say, "Ah, Danny Kincannon, the best West Wing boyfriend of all." Like that's just <laughs> immediately what I jump to. He's never even CJ's boyfriend. You just want him to be CJ's boyfriend for seasons and seasons. <laughs> so yeah, so so yeah, Peter Horton is in this movie, and yeah, he was like the the sex symbol on 30 something strapping guy in his 30s that hair that face that chin oh yeah and uh you look at him now and he looks kind of like the beast from the beauty and the beast tv series (laughs) Uh, so i will say looking at him in this movie uh now being in my 30s i get it in every mm. way like this is like he's got kind of like a five o'clock shadow like a perpetual one he's incredibly charming and in a way where you're like i want to trust this man but also maybe i can fix him like he is that guy and in the article like he alludes to like oh uh i like i've played like charming dad types who you can't trust (laughs) that's what this is like this is his archetype now (laughs) yeah and he's perfect for that i mean again haven't seen the movie but knowing the actor he is perfect for that role he's he's got this like sort of like slimy earnestness to him which is in 30 something as well like there's like a a little sketchiness to him yeah i buy it i totally no it's a good juxtaposition and like i'm just thinking he's the adult that i remember in this movie even though ellen burston is in it and she's good but he's the one who makes the most impact he's also very important to the story so that makes sense Hmm. but it's just a really strong casting choice and it feels very uh the dynamic between him and Christy feels very of a piece with the books. Well, they talk a lot about how, like, in this in this article, about how they worked. They really... This movie, from, from just from the oral history, was very directed. It was... It was not mm-hmm. thrown together. It was they they these performers were worked with probably more than the performers in the TV series, the HBO <laughs> that series would be my were guess, worked yeah. with. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it sounds like there was a lot of rehearsal, a lot of prep, uh, which is funny considering like how unceremoniously this movie ended up getting dumped into theaters. Yeah, and well, even like they did a press tour where the girls would go around in pairs and like go to cities and they would get to know each other better even after they'd wrapped production. Like they really, it seems almost like they cared more that these girls were best friends. <laughs> right. This movie was an elaborate like, ruse really to get a bunch of girls together. <laughs> And they did a great job, apparently. Like you, I, I like this. I like the camaraderie that they seem to have created. I love. I like this. This movie launched Rachel Lee Cook, which I did not realize till yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I, so I had known about the Rachel Lee Cook Milkbone box before because I'm friends with someone on Facebook who went to school with her, 
And mm-hmm. he and he said, just yeah, I posted the milk bone because there's only one image of this milk bone box on inter- the internet. The entire internet <laughs> has one image of the milk bone box that is that is watermarked for the website that it came from. And I posted on Facebook. I was like, I can't believe there's no more copies of this milk bone box. <laughs> and so my friend pops in, of course, and he's like, I remember when this happened because she came to school with the milk bone box and was like, look, <sighs> I'm on the milk bone box. And we were like, that's so cool. Uh, and I was like, well, where's your copy of the milk bone box then? Like, did you not keep your copy of the milk? And he's like, no, we don't have the copy of the milk bone box. <laughs> but yeah, so, this was the only thing she had done before she auditioned for Babysitter's Club. Yeah. And okay, like Josie and the Pussycats, which I think is now, oh, it's like 2001 or something. Yeah, it's 20 it's years a, old. It was a while ago. Another like absolute favorite. That movie is still one of my absolute favorites. Mm-hmm. Like still watch it at least once a year. So I have just always assumed that Rachel Lee Cook was always famous, even though I had no proof. Like I had no proof to back that up aside from, well, I also really liked her in the Babysitter's Club yep. movie. And she is a good casting choice for Marianne. She feels very uh, book-like. I would say like more than anything else, <laughs> these characters are extremely book-like. Like they did, they did the right thing with all of them. Uh, Claudia feels a little too quiet, but... That's, I guess, a thing. She's still um, quiet. We'll get there. We'll see this. This she is not important. She won't, she I do won't like consent that, to interviews. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that uh, Zelda Harris was in a Spike Lee movie, and therefore they all were freaking out about her constantly. Right. So Zelda Harris, who plays Jesse, had been in Crooklyn, I believe. Yeah, and, I think so. And which was right before this movie. Like, it, that, that was mm-hmm. like Spike Lee's early, one of his early 90s. Again, yeah. very controversial film when it came out, uh, starting with the name of the film. People were not happy. Uh, <laughs> but it's Spike Lee, so that he was happy with the controversy. And yeah. and yeah, so she was in, and that gave her so much cred on set, having been in a yeah. Spike Lee film. Uh, like, you, because you had Alex Mack. Mm-hmm. there but you had someone who had worked with spike lee and i and even the well, all also, these young performers knew like there's a hierarchy to yeah and one of them says like she's been in a movie mm-hmm. like, that's that was a big big deal and it's funny with larissa Olenek, who then goes on and is in one of this is subjective but one of what i find to be like the best teen movies ever she's one of the co-stars of 10 things i hate about you mm-hmm. so she was going to establish like a a little like a, a little teen film career for herself but this is her coming from nickelodeon and, and being starstruck by somebody who has been merely in the presence of spike lee now remind me so alex mack she could dissolve was that her thing what was her thing yeah she could turn into a puzzle and it was a <laughs> puzzle i quit i quit speaking out loud um no she could turn into like a kind of a weird radioactive looking puddle and this show was in the mid 90s so it looked bad but at the time it looked really cool and it was because she had been exposed to some kind of radioactivity i had a junior novelization of the first episode so like i had a lot of junior novelizations so you knew all the, might have all had the backstory the that didn't make it on movie, screen but, yeah <laughs> You know, like I'm sure my imagination was like a little bit higher quality in the case of like the special <laughs> effects for that. But yeah, she turned into a puddle. She wore be- uh, backwards baseball caps a lot and like dressed like layered and tomboyish, and she was just very cool. And then in this movie, uh, she has very blonde, uh, very extension heavy hair and just l- like looks different, does act different, 
there's a point in the article, it's either her or Marla Sokoloff who plays uh, Cokie Mason, as you'll soon learn, says, like, it's weird that we thought we were good actors at that time. <laughs> which, is, which is funny. They're not as bad as she thinks, but... I can see where the later in life critique would come from. I am I am eager to watch it because having come off watching the HBO series, and I did I did write to you uh, uh, the journalist. Uh, what's her name? Um, Jessica Goldstein, I think. Yes, yeah. she uh, she mentions the that when she when she's giving a, a rundown of the success yeah. of the Babysitters Club, she mentions the direct to video specials and also the HBO series, and I was like. <laughs> Did she not know that that was the same? Like, they just took those episodes and just slapped them onto VHS. Those are absolutely the same (laughs) thing. (laughs) I wish there was another piece of ephemera we could uncover like that. Do you know if there's any video out there of these mall meet and greets? I don't. It is something that I'm going to look more into because I'm really interested in that. I've done... I never went to any mall meet and greets that were particularly notable. I have a story about one that is so irrelevant that I just can't tell it, but I have been to like something like this before. They're weird. They're a weird thing. It's mm-hmm. just like, here are a couple child stars or maybe going to be child stars and a lot of children are talking to them and there's no way anyone's getting that much out of this. Uh, I would be really curious to see like, if there was any kind of intro, if it was more like a book appearance or something like that. Cause like for years I wrote advertisements for events at Barnes and Noble. Like that was part of my career. And I went to a few of those in that time. And those can also be incredibly awkward and strange, particularly when it's based on a television property and you're there to see an actor. Like I went to a Colbert signing once and I imagine it can't be that different from this. (laughs) So, Living in Minnesota, living in the Twin Cities, I am, of course, a hop, skip, and a jump from the Mall of America. And they mentioned the Mall of America in this article as one of the locations. And mm-hmm. I have accidentally gone to the mall during one of these type meet and greets. <laughs> like you, the Mall yeah. of America is huge. So you could be in the Mall of America and not even know this thing was happening until you right, right. walk around to the other side of the circle and suddenly. There are literally hundreds of teenagers standing in lines that encompass multiple floors, like the way they have to. They opened a restaurant that was opened by someone from some TV. I don't know. Some famous (laughs) baker had opened one of his chain restaurants and he was going to be there. And I cannot tell you the sheer mass of humanity that was there to I guess just walk past the guy and like that's, say hello. No, that's why it's so weird because so I went to this Colbert signing and this is not identical to a mall thing, but it's not it's not too far off. And I said thank you and he said you're welcome. Thanks for being here and signed my book. And then I like well because it was um it was not late show period Colbert. It was Colbert Report. Oh, okay. Period, which is, I think, an important distinction because it also meant his entire writing staff was there, mm. and I got to talk to all of them. And as like a like as a person who really likes comedy, uh, that was that was fun. Like I got yeah. to have like little quips with all of them. But I imagine if you're going and it's just one celebrity, it can't. It, 
it can't be all that impactful on you, um, like, unless you are, like, very disappointed in it, right? Like, you're not going to be thrilled that they said hi and, uh, okay, maybe you would yeah, be. Maybe I don't when you're, know. When you're, like, 12 remember. years old, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel like if I were 11, that would be enough for me. Like When I when I first yeah. moved up here, I went to the, to the mall once, and there was a huge, there was, like, crowds and crowds, and I was like, what's going on? I had just moved up here, and I was, like, very still just, like, like, uh, I didn't think I was going to be like a lot of people in this giant mall of America. And I didn't know what was going on. I was with my, one of my friends and it was clearly something was going to happen on a stage. So we kind of positioned ourselves behind the stage out of curiosity. Like, what's what's this going to be? And there was yeah, like yeah. this sea of teenage girls like lined like just rallied around this stage and then the person comes on they're like and now like you the moment you wait for these gentlemen give it up for christina aguilera and we were like who <laughs> so we stood there and we watched christina aguilera come out and sing genie in a bottle with her backup dancers and we were like i don't know who this is we're like fresh out of college we're like just a couple like i would have lost my mind over that at we're the a time, couple yeah. of <laughs> so i've seen christina aguilera for free at a, at a mall concert we just stared of like watched but in any case so yes so, like the Babysitter's Club dancing for the Thanksgiving Day Parade, <laughs> there was quite a push for this movie. And they were they wanted to make it coincide with Back to School because Scholastic Books, Back to School, we really want, we have a built-in audience. Kids are going to go back to school. We're going to release this in September. It's going to be a huge hit. And as you said, they screwed it up. They were like... Yeah. Oh, they, they buried it. And it says, like, it was... Uh, it gets released mid-August, and it's out of theaters in about a month. Yeah. Like it's... And did you see it? Yes. So you have, like, zero background with it, except forcing Mitzi to watch it, which <laughs> yes. I love. It is like this image. And I know you, she didn't, like, do it against her will. I just imagine her being a little confused by you not watching it with her, and I like that. So... I have, like, all of the background in the world with this movie. Like, I saw it, I believe, the weekend it came out when I was seven with my mom, who also was reading the books. And then when it came out on VHS, I got it from Blockbuster enough times that it would have been cheaper to buy the tape, like, two times over. (laughs) And I maybe did buy it at some point, but I don't remember if that's the case. And I can, like, mimic specific line deliveries, and I can tell you the merits and drawbacks of every creative decision. (laughs) And as I said, like, as excited as I was for the Netflix show, I am more excited to watch this movie again. And also, I, like, I want to talk to you and other people about how this is received now that, like, the, like, after the Netflix show, basically. Well, I have a question. So do you remember seeing it? I do. I do. Um... This was before an age where I would cry over something like in an emotional way, but I was very emotionally invested in the story because it is a Christy and her dad story at its core. And those are always, I mean, that's the core they went with on the Netflix show. It's a, it's an important one. Uh, I remember it because getting to hang out with just my mom, I have two older brothers uh, who are four and five years older than I am. And as I said, I was seven. (laughs) I, uh, getting to hang out with just my mom for a day was a really big deal. Like we would do movies together. This was around this, like we did Mulan. We did my best friend's wedding this same summer. And that's, oh. Hey, <laughs> good movie. Uh, that day, fun fact, the projector went out for a bit. So we got free tickets and then to a, any other movie and then went to see good burger as a big, big Aww. day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I loved hanging out with her. I still really, It'd be cool to hang out with my mom again, but we don't need to dwell on that. Uh, And uh, 
I have, but I have a very clear memory of this movie in particular because it was one I was so excited about. Yeah. Um, I read the Babysitter's Club books sometimes during recess by myself, which is another indication of what kind of kid I was. Mm. And I was already like so invested in the characters that of course I wanted to see them in any way I could. And this was very exciting. Uh, and I don't know if it, I don't know if it's a good movie. <laughs> like now I don't know that. I know all of the things that, that I think are very funny in it that I still will think of and be like, Oh yeah, that's actually a pretty good goof. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens, I guess. So wait, so so you were seven when this came out, you said? It's 95, right? Yeah. I was born in 87, uh, and my birthday's October. So unless I've done something horribly wrong, <laughs> yes. You were born, so you were born the year I was like weirdly obsessed with 30-something. You, yeah, yeah. I was watching a 30-something and you were being born. Like, I, Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think that often about how old anybody I'm friends right, with right. is because I just I just more or less assume we're all about 35 well, yeah, we're like all the same I'm age. A little young. Yeah. And and I kind of go from there. I always assume people are either 3 years older or 3 years younger than I am, which is absurd. I'm married to somebody who's 4 years older than I am. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, this was like, this was a big, big thing for me. This was a huge moment. And it's not the first movie I remember seeing in the theater. Yeah. Uh, that would have been the previous year. Uh, no, no. That would have been one of the 101 Dalmatians re-releases. <laughs> so that would have been maybe when I was five or six. Uh, but like, I'd been really excited about The Lion King the summer before. I'd seen Toy Story three times in the theater wow. this the summer before this. Yeah, it's... This is a big time for me in movies. Remember going to a movie theater and not knowing what you're going to see beforehand? Yes, I because that's... I mean, maybe we. I was told, but it just didn't register. My earliest, I believe, movie memory is, I think, going to see the Muppet movie in the theater. Oh, that is a good one. And you know, I all I remember is the Rainbow Connection. I remember <laughs> seeing the rainbow and being like... And I remember the rainbow at the end. And I remember Sweetums bursting through the screen at the end because yeah, Sweetums always, always, kind of, always kind of freaked me out when I was a kid. But I remember laughing. But I remember it being vivid because when you're that young, a movie, th- especially back then, a movie theater was hu- like huge. Like yeah. everything. That movie screen was almost intimidatingly large it was so big and that movie house was i mean i'm sure that movie theater was small by today's standards but to a little kid it was like unlike any other place you got to go and uh yeah yeah. and so when i was seven i saw probably it wasn't i had already seen secret of nim that came out when i was six so 83 uh God, I don't even know what came out in '83, <laughs> like Jaws, like Jaws three. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> Which you saw in the theater. Obviously. I did not see Jaws three in the theater, but uh, but um, but yeah, like seeing a movie and and the fact that you were seven and anticipating seeing a movie like that—that's pretty big deal. Like, it's also, I mean, movies have always been very important to me. Uh, I'm not like a. Oh, Best Friends Wedding was two years later. I was going to say, there's no way I was seven and loved it that much. Uh, nine makes much more sense. Sorry. That was important to me. I needed to establish that for myself. Anyway, uh, they've always, like, I, I wouldn't call myself, like, a cinephile or anything, but I've seen a ton of movies and love a ton of movies. Yeah. And 
I've also always been a reader. So anytime there's an adaptation, of something that I loved, I, I think that, I mean, this would have been the first one that I would have recognized as this is an adaptation of a story I like. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think that probably had a lot to do with it because I was in uh, college, uh, like late high school, early college when the Harry Potter movies started coming out. And then I think from there, uh, things that were obviously adaptations really snowballed. Yeah, but this was a t- this was well before that. This was like ten, uh, uh, maybe not quite ten years before that, but roundabout there. Yeah, see, my first real experience with that was Jurassic Park, and that was years later. Uh, that, and that's a thing that I didn't read until I was in college, and I've seen I've seen Jurassic Park more than maybe any other movie. Mm. See, I had read Jurassic Park before they even announced a movie was being made. Uh, that book's so good. A friend of mine, an older friend of mine, a, a graduate of my high school who I knew through the theater was like, hey, Phil, I just read this novel. I think you'll really like it. It's about this guy who brings dinosaurs back for an amusement park. And I was like, you ju- you're singing my song. <laughs> and and so I, I read Jurassic Park and then I was in the theater with a friend and the trailer, the tr- teaser trailer for Jurassic Park came on. And it was just the one where the person's like chiseling out the amber <gasps> in a cave. And I'm sitting there watching it and he's like, chisel, 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 chisel. And then it pulls the amber out and you see the mosquito in it. And then my brain started like putting all these pieces together. And I was like, is this a Jurassic Park movie? Is this a Jurassic Park? Are they making a Jurassic Park? And then it's like the movie, 93 million years in the making. And I was like, Ugh. are you kidding? That's back when that could still happen. You could still be surprised yeah. that a movie was coming out. I I miss that. Like, I miss being really excited when something was announced rather than like years in advance. You know, you basically know when the announcement is going to happen at right. this point, which is... <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's nice. Uh, the The Jurassic Park advertising campaigns still are very good. Yes. Like, I mean, obviously, like I am mildly devastated by the declining quality of the uh, Jurassic Park movies now, <laughs> like the Jurassic World franchise. Yes. But I got, I remember getting literal chills over the use of the John Williams theme in the Jurassic World trailer, like the very first one. And one thing, and bringing this back to the Babysitter's Club movie is... As we can. As we can. What I think this is important is that there is something about that anticipation of seeing something you love brought to the screen that uh, you said Harry Potter was obviously a huge Mm -hmm. version of that. Lord of the Rings was a really big uh, version of that. Obviously, Sonic the Hedgehog was really important, really important for a lot of people. I do listen to a Sonic the Hedgehog podcast, and the hosts were Good. very excited about the movie. <laughs> uh, uh, but I'm thinking even like The Hunger Games, which was a book mm-hmm. that I read in one day, like the first one, because I don't think there's any other way to read that first book. It has to be done at a breakneck pace. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know for sure what the status of the movie was at that point. Probably it had been announced but I knew nothing more. And that is a, that is a book that uh, like works as why wh- like it works as young adult literature, but feels like it is crying out to be seen. And that's the kind of thing that's like, that's, that is not the case with something like the babysitters. Club. Right. But at this point it was just like, let's get as much like as a fan of this, I want as much of it as I can get, get me like the chain letter special, get me the necklace that I can order along with my four books a month. A movie is like beyond your wildest dreams when it's a franchise that lo-fi. So 
yeah, no, I, this is, a, <laughs> this is maybe why I'm still so excited <laughs> about it. Cause I can remember that, uh, now like uh, 25 year old excitement, not quite. Well, and unlike hunger games, old. unlike Harry Potter, unlike all these like major tentpole franchises, the, the Babysitter's Club will always be, how are they, like those movies, it's like, how how accurate is this going to be? How much will this make me yeah. feel like I felt reading it? Babysitter's Club also has that added like, A, how do you turn this into a narrative that, like a visual narrative, like a, a structured mm-hmm. narrative? And B, how do you make it relevant today? How is this going to resonate with, yeah. with how are you going to make this not just a nostalgia property, not just something for the for the fans, but also something that will resonate? And so I'm very, I am looking forward to watching a movie that came out in 1995 that was like, let's make this relevant for the girl power era. The like the like, you know, this is not the 80s anymore. We are we are now knee deep in the 90s. We are knee deep in Nickelodeon. We are, we are yeah, we are immediately before. Uh, Spice Girls like this is Mm -hmm. right before that really gets commodified I would say I mean one of them makes a joke about how they were girl bosses before girl boss was a thing and that's not wrong like that is a she's making a joke but there is some truth to that yeah it was a I mean obviously a an extremely different era (laughs) from now and it feels it feels 90s the outfits are extremely 90s but Aside from that, I I mean, the story to me, as evidenced by Netflix also doing a Christian or dad story, uh, the story is very uh, timeless. I don't think it, I don't think it will feel dated to you. Well, as as you said at the top of the at the top of this hour. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, this seems a little bit more like Christian and Phil would like to talk about themselves through the lens of the Babysitter's Club than usual. And I am not mad about it. I'm not it. mad about it at all. But as you said, um, <clears throat> this is going to launch our discussion of the movie. We don't know how long we'll be talking about this. We haven't really hammered out the context, but uh, but I'm really excited to watch this and discuss it through the lens of today, trying to like sort of like figure out what they were going for. I went, th- we went through this uh, when I was doing uh, Click It Cast, the Beverly Cleary podcast with John mm-hmm. McCoy. When we got to the adaptation, the TV series, uh, there's a lot to talk about because uh, that we you know one, you know, we've, we've, we've been through the HBO version, but this is the movie and they did a movie of yeah. Ramona and it was a very different animal than the TV series of Ramona. So, yeah, so I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to this. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, no, I think this will be fun. I have I have some ideas. There are definitely some people that I would like to talk about this movie with. That we'll see if we can have on. But and mostly, I'm a, I'm I'm already looking forward to uh, bullying at least one person I know into <laughs> watching this with me. Uh, and I, if you were, and if you out there listening are someone who watched this movie and loved it or had an experience with it, let us know. You can uh, shoot us a tweet at pizza toast pod. Uh, yeah. Pizza toast pod or email at uh, pizza toast pod at Gmail. Yeah. Tell us if you care about this movie, because like even before, like when we wrapped the previous series, a couple people did, reply saying they would like us to cover this yeah so and if and if you were a fan of 30 something or alex mack or uh (laughs) or or if you if i didn't get into the fact that to me 30 something to 11 year old phil 30 something seemed in my mind like a tv adaptation of the movie about last night which i also saw (laughs) when i was 11 (laughs) with my family 
Oh, no. Which is the film adaptation of David Mamet's sexual perversity in Chicago. And yes, has full frontal Rob Lowe nudity in it. Oh, wow. But for some reason, we watched it as a family. And then I watched 30-something. And I was like, oh, this is kind of about the same thing. So if you watched inappropriate television or movies when you were a kid let us know about that i want to i want to know like what you were weirdly obsessed with as a child i also like if anybody else had a crush on brie blair tell me <laughs> tell me this is a safe space <laughs> like, it's a safe space we're, we're talking about our crushes on brie blair we're talking about our crushes on cast members of 30 something <laughs> Did you find Peter Horton attractive? Maybe so. If not, were you into Timothy Busfield? I don't know. I can't tell you. But you can. They can. Yes. You out there. So the listener so can. Uh, I mean, I feel like we can still say goodbye to our friends. I would love uh, to say goodbye to our friends. Okay. Um, I'm on Twitter at Admiral Christie. Mm-hmm. And Phil's on Twitter at, at P. Corey Gonzalez. I am. So catch us there. <laughs> All right. And until right. uh, next time, uh, yeah. Say good- Phil loves thirty something. Say goodbye to your friends. <laughs> <laughs>